Welcome back to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Nathaniel Privet, and it is my honor to introduce Brian Phillips, the Chief Communications Officer at Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is a nonprofit conservative think tank down in Austin, Texas. Brian is here today to fill me in and fill you in on the current political state of Texas. What's motivating voters? What are some seats that are up for grabs? And what can we expect looking forward to Election Day? Brian, thanks for joining me today. I'm happy to have you. Thanks for having me, and um, it's great to be on. Today, we are going to be talking about the upcoming elections in Texas, giving a framework for which elections are the ones to look out for, what people are going off of when they step up to the booth to vote. And I think the biggest election that we should talk about is, of course, the governorship. So, Brian, if you wouldn't mind, who's incumbent? What's the things that they have done? And how are they running their their election right now? And then who are their big opponents coming into this? Sure. So the incumbent is Greg Abbott. I think this is going to be his third time that he's run. He's been in office for two terms now. And our elections are really interesting for governor because they're never during the presidential election. So we always elect our governor during the midterms. And so this would be his third time running. Issues that he really wants to highlight are really the economic resilience of Texas, particularly coming off of the pandemic. Texas was one of the states that returned all of the post-pandemic jobs, the jobs that we lost during the pandemic. Texas was one of the states that returned those jobs the fastest. I think we're one of four states at the end of 2020 that had gotten all those jobs back. And so he wants to run on his economic record. Certainly, Texas is a place where we have people tripping over themselves to come and, and live here, a place like Austin and Houston and Dallas. Populations are exploding. I think we have over almost 2 million more registered voters in Texas than we did four years ago. Wow. He's running on that success. And then, of course, the challenges that we have here running on his record of addressing those challenges, number one being the border. Obviously, the border is really a federal issue. And so you've got this tension between what the state can do and what the federal government should be doing. Of course, the Biden administration is doing very little. People are looking for Greg Abbott and looking for some leadership at the state level, which he has done over the past year or so in something that he calls the Operation Lone Star, which is really an aggressive state effort to try and stop people from entering the state illegally. I think that and then the crime issue is also another big one here in Texas and how he's been addressing that. Um, certainly the electrical grid, we had the the grid failure of 2021, which a lot of people blame him for, frankly. He has had to describe his efforts to make sure that that never happens again. And so that's the record that he's running on. Somebody who is running against him, who might be familiar to even audiences in the North, Beto O'Rourke. He ran against Ted Cruz in 2018. He was a new, exciting candidate. The next Robert Kennedy is what a lot of people called him in 2018, uh, came very, very close to beating Ted Cruz in that election. That was really a um, wave for Democrats. You had Trump backlash from people. You had Ted Cruz, who's a very polarizing candidate at the top of the ticket, even in Texas. And then you had this new and exciting candidate, Beto O'Rourke. And so he came very, very close in 2018 to, to winning that election. And then, of course, he, he used that to springboard into a presidential run, which was by all intents and purposes, a total failure. His luster has sort of diminished since then, but he is making a third attempt now to run in Texas and running against Greg Abbott. His, his issues are he's running against the record of Abbott and he's you know, criticizing the things that, that Abbott has done. 
But he's also running on, obviously, the abortion question, right? Like, so we had the Dobbs case that everyone's very familiar with, mm -hmm. uh, sending that decision back to the states. And so he's running to protect abortion rights. He's running on a lot of boilerplate left-wing issues like climate change and Medicaid expansion. We had the, the awful, awful tragedy that happened in Uvalde with the school shooting. He's made that part of his campaign as well, trying to pin those issues on Abbott. You have two very different campaigns, two very different campaign messages and issues all coming to a head here in a couple of days. I see. So we've got economics and we've got border policy and we have crime. Do you find that, that these topics are what's pushing voters in their local elections or the other offices that are up for grabs this time around? So could you speak on at least giving some examples maybe of what voters are thinking about for their local elections? So the one thing that is creating a wet blanket over all of the races, particularly for Democrats, is just Joe Biden's total unpopularity in the state of Texas. We have left-leaning independents and we have a base of Democrats of about, you know, 25 to 30 percent. And his favorability in Texas is, is barely 35 <laughs> percent. And so, you know, he should be much closer to, you know, with the left-leaners and independents and moderates, he should be much closer to 42 45% just as a base. And so you're losing 10% of the people who should just naturally favor you. And mm. so that is a really big red flag. I think Kamala has been here once or twice. I think she came to Austin, which is the blueberry in the sea of, of red. <laughs> but I don't think Biden's been to Texas. I don't think he's asked him to come to Texas. His unpopularity, particularly on economic issues, inflation, gas prices, kitchen table economics, has really been the wet blanket that has dragged Democrats down in every race from dog catcher all the way up to governor. In particular, in South Texas, it's very interesting. You know, when economics is the number one issue, usually what pollsters look at and what researchers look at is it's not really that voters follow GDP numbers or it's not like they're following the specific ins and outs of macroeconomic trends and things like that. What we usually look at is if the economy's not doing well, that's a sign that the country's not doing well. It's really kind of a proxy for how are my neighbors doing? You look at polls and people will tell you, oh, you know, I'm okay, or I'm making more money than I used to, but I still have what we call this economic malaise, this economic mm. anxiety about the country. And it just means we're not moving in the right direction. And, and that's generally how people look at if the economy's stupid, or if the economy's doing bad, then the ruling party is probably going to get flipped. It's interesting. You have in South Texas, it's much more personal. You have this trend in South Texas of people who were lifelong Democrats now shifting from 2016 and voting for Trump, 2018 voting for Cruz, 2020 staying with Trump. This issue of, of economics is very personal to them. It's not just about the direction of the country or the state. And that what they're telling us, particularly in the Hispanic communities, is who cares about my ability to provide for my family? Whereas in the 2020 election, you had a lot of suburban moms who really didn't like Trump. And that's probably a lot of the reason why he ended up losing. People thought he was a bad example for their kids and they didn't like his combative nature and all of that. But for every suburban mom that had that opinion, there was a Hispanic mom in South Texas who thought Donald Trump was the only person who cared about their ability to provide for their family. Mm. That issue, because economics is not on a macro level for them, it, it is digested in a very personal way. That's why you're starting to see this shift. You have races down there, three in particular, and I'll highlight one. Cassie Garcia in Texas 28 is running against a five-time incumbent, Henry Cuellar. 
Henry Cuellar is a very conservative Democrat. I mean, he's anti-abortion. He has some good issues on the border. But the fact is that, you know, Cassie's running a very, very strong campaign, raising a lot of money, talking about these economic issues and blaming a lot of it on Democrats and Biden. That's made her a very strong candidate. Six months ago, she would have been a fringe win. A lot of money is being put on her actually winning this race, being a congresswoman this time next year. That's a real bellwether race. There are two other races down there, Maya Flores and one other in, in Texas 15. And those three races are the ones that people are looking at. I see. So having candidates push for strong economic policy, specifically attaching that policy, and as the voters already have, attaching those economic policies to the real emotional familial connection of being able to provide for your family and for the community around you. And I think that that's a surprise to some people because they would just assume it's the border. I mean, particularly people outside of Texas, they think, oh, it's just a, everybody's you know, crazy about the border security. And it's not. It really is the economy. Is the border policy kind of contesting for second place on people's minds? Or is it the economy is top on everybody's minds? And then there's a large gap between second place and there's all the rest of the political issues that people are facing today. We do polling every other month here at TPPF. And so we're very in tune with kind of what the top issues are. And I'll just tell you, the border and border security and immigration is always, always, always number one, and usually by a fairly wide margin. And that's statewide, right? And so the economy has definitely moved up. And I would say they're basically around the same right now. I think border security still has a little bit of a edge. There's not quite the gap that there was say, six or eight months ago, the economy has definitely gained ground. I see. So as far as we can say, given elections being so close, where do you think the split will sit with the state Senate and the state House for Texas coming out of this next week? What do we anticipate seeing? In this last election, Republicans dropped a couple seats in the House. This time, I think we'll get a couple of those back. And I think that there will be some new Republican faces taking over longtime Democrat seats. So I believe there's about a seven or eight margin lead for Republicans in the state house right now. And I think they could get up to 10 to 12 in the house. In the Senate, there's not really any risk of Republicans losing the majority there, probably gain a seat or two. What's really interesting in the Senate is that even though there were some districts that were held by Republicans, they were moderate middle of the road Republicans. Republicans who didn't support things like parental choice or, you know, some of the Second Amendment issues and things like that, that are now going to be replaced by much stronger conservatives. And so that will be the different dynamic in the Senate is not just that Republicans will maintain control, but that there will be a different tenor, that there will be an invigorated tone of getting conservative reforms done in the next session because we'll have better conservatives in the Senate this next time around. So there'll be a stronger motivating force, still be Republicans, but these are stronger Republicans. And then in the House, is the gain of a few more seats going to be enough to to make a significant difference? Look, the House, just kind of funny in Texas, what goes for a moderate Republican would be like, you know, a a knuckle-dragging right-winger in a lot of other states. It was kind of mocked down here, but we did have probably our most conservative session, at least since I've been following Texas politics this last session. I mean, we passed open carry. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, I mean, that's a pretty right wing piece of legislation that passed through our legislature was open carry. But there are a couple other issues that didn't get done last session that are on the conservative wish list. The number one issue for that, of course, is parental choice. 
and making sure that, that parents are empowered to be the decision makers when it comes to their kids' education. That is not just school choice. We're not just talking about school choice. We're talking about a lot of other issues like curriculum transparency, making sure parents know what's going on in the schools, uh, respect for parents. We're going to have a more conservative legislature who is on that side, who realizes the urgency of dealing with those issues. To say that, you know, we'll have more of a chance to get conservative legislation through, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer because we got some really good conservative legislation through. But this one, I think we're going to have a real opportunity to do some historic things. Uh, you know, number one on that list, of course, is parental empowerment. Number two would be real property tax reform. Something that's special about the Texas legislative session is that it only happens every other year. In preparation for this next session, how do you see the two different parties moving? You just talked about the Republican side of things with parent choice, respect for parents and curriculum transparency. How do you see the two different parties kind of positioning themselves, even if the Democrats are not in power at this moment? What bills, what ideas are they pushing for in how they present themselves for this upcoming election of changes that they are trying to make or advertising that they will make uh, should they get office? I would say there's two or three big issues we can expect the left to address. Number one is the grid. I mean, I talked about that a little bit at the top. It's a real failure, certainly of policy, but even of reputation for the place like Texas to not have reliable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will still need to be addressed. I think they addressed it somewhat last session and that the improvements that they made, we saw that this summer. We really didn't have any close calls during the summer. And so we'll see what happens during the winter. But I think the Democrats will continue to make that an issue for no other reason than it kind of embarrasses the Republicans here. Uh, so they will have to address those issues. And frankly, they should. They didn't, they didn't really go far enough on some issues. Um, and so we're even pushing on the conservative side pushing for more reforms in the grid. I think that's something that the, that the left will, uh, will uh, latch onto. We'll see what they do on abortion. Everybody thought that with the Dobbs decision, that was going to reinvigorate the left and that there would be a big blue push. And you know their efforts to make those a campaign issue uh, really, really never took off. We'll see if they learn that lesson and say, well, it's not really worth it because Texans aren't with us, or if they regroup, which is what I think they probably do, regroup and maybe approach it from a different way. And then the other one, which always rears its ugly head, uh, especially in a place like Texas, is Medicaid expansion. Texas would be the crown jewel for that effort if they were mm. able to pass Medicaid expansion. Uh, they attempted to last year, and there was a very aggressive opposition to expanding Medicaid. I think we largely won that issue. We certainly won it uh, in the messaging and then in the policy. But again, the polls usually will say that the majority of Texans support Medicaid expansion. So with that kind of wind at their back and the ability to raise money on it, I would imagine that Medicaid expansion would be another one of their big policy items for next session. That's a big picture, and that's got the mind of how generally people are going to be voting for the state officials. Looking at the local elections, can you think of any local elections that could give interesting insights to how people are thinking about not just for their state representatives, but for the people that are much closer to home for them? Sure. Probably the most fascinating local election is that of Harris County judge. Harris County is where Houston is. Houston is obviously the third largest city in the country. Uh, Harris County, I think, is top five counties in the country as well. Most people would think it's an urban city, so there's a lot of of Democrat influence there. The reality is, is that four years ago, it was actually the county judge was a Republican. In the tsunami or the perfect storm of 
of 2018, a woman named Lena Hidalgo, a Democrat, very progressive, very left-wing, took that seat. A lot of people thought, well, this is the beginning of the end uh, for Republicans in Harris County that, you know, officially um, this is going to, you know, Harris County forever and always is going to be Democratic County, which is, you know, concerning to a lot of Republicans because 16% of the population or 16% of registered voters is in that county. And so Republicans are making a very, very aggressive effort to try and take that seat back. Um, and the dynamics at play are really interesting because Lena Hidalgo, who's the current, you know, Democrat county judge, she has aspirations to be something, you know, much bigger, maybe governor, maybe run for president someday, who knows? And so she really took the man, she really took the reins, a um, very progressive, forward, you know, social justice type agenda, climate change and all kinds of social welfare benefits are really trying to validate the progressives view of the world that government can be a, you know, an instrument, big government can be an instrument for good. Her opponent, uh, Alexandra Miller, she's run a very brass tax campaign and saying, look, that's not the role of local government. Local government is about potholes and public safety, particularly on the issue of public safety, where you have rising crime in a city like mm -hmm. Houston, and you have rising murder rate and, and rising, you know, violent crime rates. And so we need to get back to brass tacks and we need to get back to doing what local government should be doing. So you have not only this test of is the Republican going to make inroads and take back Harris County, but you have really this competition of worldviews about what local government should really be about. So it's pretty fascinating. Everybody just sort of assumed six months ago again that, that you know, Lena Hidalgo was the incumbent, the Harris County was going blue, and that was that. Well. You know, polling came out the last month that these brass tax issues about public safety are helping Mueller. And she, for the first time, actually has a lead. Now, it's well within the margin of error. I think it was less than a point, but it still was a lead. Um, and so, we, you know, it really is going neck and neck into Election Day. And, and I think this one, the reason why I highlight this one is not just because of the dynamics at the local level, but because of that, that be such a large part of our population is there. It could have effects and consequences um, that reverberate throughout Texas and throughout Texas politics for the next few election cycles. I think that's a, a good place to end this. We started with the governorship, talked about general voter motivations. Then we went on to what's happening in the House and the Senate for Texas. What are the potential consequences of that? And then we framed it at the end, going to the local and seeing a specific instance of how these local elections can have huge ramifications. I want to say thank you very much for taking time to speak with me. Your insight is greatly appreciated in just giving people a framework for how, how we can view one of the largest states, Texas being very often a, a state that is representative of the larger country. This is a very important insight. Well, this was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Daniel. Of course. And for all of you listening, uh, this has been an insightful interview with Brian Phillips, once again, the chief communications officer at a uh, nonprofit think tank, conservative, Texas Public Policy Foundation. If people wanted to, after hearing your expert advice, uh, wanted to find out more about the organization, Texas Public Policy Foundation, where could they go? Absolutely. We are at texaspolicy.com and you can go there and you can sign up. We have a daily newsletter called The Canon that we put out every day talking about the news of the day. We have a weekly newsletter called The Post, uh, which is kind of an interesting, different kind of uh, feature that you know, talks about a lot of other issues and is uh, kind of fun and, and topical at the same time. All of the major social media uh, platforms, Instagram, 
uh, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So you can definitely find us uh, in a lot of different places. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm Nathaniel Privet, joined by Brian Phillips. Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.